0: Welcome to the Conquer Food Podcast with Craig and Paula Williams, where we share tips, tricks, and strategies from the coalface of the weight loss industry in the UK. We're going to help you to think, eat, and move better. Ultimately, we're going to help you finally gain control and conquer food. Hello, guys, and welcome to this next episode of the Conquer Food Podcast. Uh, I've got a really, really good guest for you today. Um, he's just absolutely brimming with knowledge, not just on sort of health, fitness, strength and conditioning, but, but people as well. He understands people, he knows people, and he's just some incredible stuff. He's called Rick Moylan. I'll get him to sp- introduce himself a little bit in a minute, as well as a whole a uh, just unbelievable amount of like professional boxers. Uh, high-level bodybuilders, the England tug of war team, um, current ATP tennis player Liam Bro- Brodie. He's doing really, really well at the minute. Uh, he's coached just so many different people at a really, really high level. Um, so I'm going get get to get uh, to chat to him today and um, pick out some of the knowledge. I've got some questions that you guys have posted that I'm going to put to him. There's a couple of that. And uh, we'll just have a little bit of a, a general chit-chat. So thanks for coming along, to, um, Rick. Hi, Craig. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you again, mate. Yeah, yeah, good to see it's been a while, hasn't it, since we had uh, a bit of a, a bit of a natter? It
1: has, it has. The time, the time moves on quickly, doesn't
0: it? Yeah. Okay, so I, I want to get right into it, first of all. Can you just give us a couple of minutes about what you've done and, and what you do now?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, thanks for introducing me. My, name, my name's Rick. I'm, I'm born and bred Mancunian for, for my sins, some might say, but, you know... Um, I, I'm I'm a proud. First and foremost, I'm a very proud dad. My son Liam, yeah, you know, raised and born in, in Manchester and, and still lives there now. I like many young young men and young women. I I I just had a love for sport and I wanted to be a, a sports performer, an athlete. Let's say I I actually yes, I did you know maybe get onto combat sports and stuff and boxing in in a little bit, but. I did a bit of boxing, quite a lot of martial arts. That was something that more so as a a young child when I started that, I initially, my parents sort of maneuvered me towards that to keep me out of trouble. You know, I was born and raised in Moss Side, quite quite a tough part of Manchester at that time. I I then, you know, played football and was a. you know, I'd say a fairly good footballer, uh, but like many, you know, young men and women, it wasn't to be for me. But that ultimately led me into into my career path. I love sports; I always have done. I lacked confidence in my own ability as as a kid. I think, and that, and you know, and, and at various times in, in life as well. And I think that those two things have have moved me into the career path that that, that I've got now. I, I studied sport and exercise science at the University of Salford. I worked as a personal trainer for a number of years in City Centre Manchester. I was proudly, probably one of the first self-employed personal trainers in Manchester at that time. And and then, yeah, I, I, I got my lucky break in, in sport by, by working voluntary, by doing the nuts and bolts, the, the jobs that nobody else wanted to do as, as a young as a younger coach coming through. And I um, I learned my trade as, as I went. I've, I've worked with thousands of members of the public now over my over my career. I've, I've gone well past that that sort of 10,000-hour coaching mark. and probably closer to 20,000 now. And, yeah, I was lucky enough to uh, work uh, as four years as the head of performance for Team Ricky Hatton. And I've, I've since worked with six world champion boxers mentioned uh, the tennis I also worked with Red Bull for a, for a few years with all their extreme sports athletes so all those crazy guys and girls who do things really really fast jump off buildings all that kind of stuff and that's that's led to, to a ton of different diverse you know all that work in sport I've led to diverse work you know seminars and coaching for the police force for the military lots of uh, different universities and and probably I think think what I'm probably most proud of which is my, my charity work which maybe we'll get to in a bit and and that and that's me but what you know what I would say Craig, working class boy who's still learning and still trying to get better every day
0: incredible CV but um the, the way you kind of put it across you can tell working class lad no nonsense and I think you know that's definitely definitely something I like about it so if I can just kind of run into a couple of things obviously you know some of our boot campers and that that are listening to this they'll be going well this is this is all great you know high level performance uh professional athletes and all that but that's, that's not really me but are there certain things that you see in these professional boxers and tennis players and, and all, you know all these these even maybe even these red bull athletes although they are a bit strange <laughs> is there's is there certain things that you kind of see in them that that most sort of most people have, or the average person, you know, has them them characteristics.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, did, I followed a path that that I think is fairly common to to a lot of coaches in that as I started to progress up the up the ladder of um, performance, let's say, and getting getting working with elite sports people, elite athletes. My default crave was that I, I need to learn more. I need, I need more knowledge. So as I, I you know. Started reinvesting my money, doing loads of courses, travelling all around Europe, learning off different people. I went back to university and did my master's degree in strength conditioning. All well and good. What was evidently clear to me is that I could have two athletes, okay, that were similar, similar height, similar weight, similar technical ability, similar talent. I would give them the same program because they we're in the same sport, and I would get a completely different reaction and a completely different response. And and. basically the point I'm making is I've got all these qualifications, which is fine. You know, you get a few letters after your names, good for your ego and all that kind of stuff. I I had to learn more about people and athletes are exactly, you know, high performers, let's say high performers, because um, these characteristics are the same in military. They're the same. You obviously know this with your background, the same in the police force. They're the same with high-performing corporate people, you name it, is that we all, we all, there is a perception that, that athletes are, you know, they do, they do, like you say, the crazy Red Bull guys and girls, they do sometimes, they do amazing things, but they fundamentally are people just like you and I. They have hopes, they have dreams, they have fears, they have insecurities, just like you and I, and that is where we, we are. you know, I've been down to, to boot camp, I've met a load of your guys, uh, it was a, a great day down there. We are all the same. Uh, they have things that they love to do, but just like they have things that they love to eat. Yeah. They have things that they absolutely hate doing and absolutely hate eating. And just like you and I, they'll gravitate to the things they love and uh, resist like mad the things that they hate. They're no different to, to any one of us. We're all exactly the same.
0: That's often missed, isn't it? I mean, you know, I some of my like sporting heroes of that, I look at them and think, Well, they're just they're just like supermen, superwomen, you know, just incredible. You look at like um Jess Ennis and you sort of think it's just ridiculous to think that she's a normal person, like walking a dog and all that kind of stuff. But um yeah, it's good to get like a bit of an insight there from from you. Uh so, so yeah, what she, I was just gonna
1: say, she's got the same not just that any, let's say, but any any athlete, they've got the same insecurities as every single one of us. Am I good enough? Am I fast enough? Am I, am I getting better? Am I not getting better? Am I getting older? Am I too young? You know, it's we're all fundamentally we're all, of course, our own battles are individual. But what the point I think I'm making is there is a perception that, that these guys and girls are you know hardwired robots, superhuman. It's absolutely not the case.
0: Is it just a case that they've, they've made different choices then and ended up in a different place? So I mean, it must be some genetics as well. Well, got to be some kind of genetic difference in there. But you know, how how, how did they get there then?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Of course. I mean, there's a, there is some. Of course, there is genetics. And, and then the the that argument of talent. You know, are we born with it? Is it learned? You know, that is a that is a. Uh, a conversation that we could spend all day talking about and never get to the end of and, and we'd all have maybe different opinions in that. I think within what what I call a performance jigsaw and, the, or, you know, all of which is many pieces, a, a big piece of it is there's luck along the way. But, of, of course, it, the, it is all about, yes, it's about voices. For For many high-level athletes, certainly in the sports I've been involved in, it's about, um, escapism so a lot of them have come from very working class backgrounds and and sport affords them a chance to to be successful in something to to be good at something and to gain rewards not just for themselves for you know for here and now and later life but also for their family as well and, and I, I know that certainly I mean I have a belief that some sports you know without naming any names would I think there's world champions in some sports in inner cities that will never be found.
0: Yeah, you're right, and that's, that's probably goes back to your roots in Moss Side. You know what I mean? I mean, how many disadvantaged kids are out there that they just never going to get that lucky break or whatever? You know, and how much talent is just left on the
1: streets? It's um, it's unbelievable, really. Um, yeah, I mean, sorry, I mean, just my. I mean, my family came over from Ireland in the sixties uh, at the time as as well. Um, the Windrush generation was, was coming over into Manchester as well. And and in particular, you know, in areas like myself, like you say, there was, there wasn't a lot of money, but what, what there actually was, was people's willingness to work hard. And, uh, and, and things such as boxing and combat sports, it it kept a lot of young men. There was, there was less advantage for, uh, there was less opportunity, excuse me, for, for women back then for things like boxing, um, you know, compared to what there is now. But, uh, it certainly gave us an opportunity to, to channel our focus towards the right means.
0: So, so moving on from that in a slightly different direction is like, so, so what is there other things that these top level athletes have that really do set them apart?
1: I've seen amazingly talented athletes not be successful. And I've seen t- athletes with obviously talent, but with perhaps not as much talent go on and win world titles. And, and, I think if if, if I'm looking for, you know, characteristics, let's say, that I think are relatable to to the boot camp members, I think one of the, the, and you you touched on it before, and it it forms part of the coaching model that that I use with all my clients, The one characteristic that really successful athletes have is the ability to make the right decision. And, And when I say the right decision, I don't mean anything astronomical. I basically think that, and I talk about this a lot with my guys, is that every single day we're faced numerous times in the day with, with a choice, okay, with a decision to make, with a choice, and that choice is 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 when it's boiled down, is one of two things for us. It's either the choice of short-term pleasure, or it's the choice of short-term pain. Now, if we repeat the choice that we make of short-term pleasure often enough, it will lead us to long-term pain. On the flip side of that, if we repeat the choice of short-term pain, often enough, it will lead us to long-term pleasure. And a characteristic I have noticed a lot in the people I work with, the ones who do really, really well, I'm often asked, you know, what's what's the training that they do? They must have these amazing training programs or amazing nutrition plans and all that kind of stuff. And I said, no, they do not. They do the basics well. And they do it well every day. And they, they make the choice of short term pain. They understand, like I think all of us do, what's healthy to eat, what isn't healthy to eat. But when the tempt and they do get tempted, when the temptation is there, they are able to make that decision of short term pain to eat that healthier food that perhaps doesn't quite taste as nice. Get outside in the rain, and we're uh, in mean, Manchester, right? You know, so it's <laughs> raining all the time. You know, um, so you know they will go for a run, and and and, and yeah, they get that feeling of oh, I can't be asked today. Oh look at the weather! Oh it's raining. I'm going to get wet. Oh I'm not as fit as I want to be at the minute, so it's probably going to hurt. My times are probably not going to be that good, but they do it anyway they're able to take the decision of short-term pain. And they know that if they repeat that decision, you know, go. Oh, I want to watch Netflix. And it applies to everything. It's 11, you know, half 10, 10 o'clock, or half 10, 11 o'clock. I want to watch Netflix. You know, I want to watch the latest episode of uh, Game of Thrones or whatever's on it right now. If I take the decision of short-term pleasure and watch Netflix, I'll probably stay up and watch the second one. Mm. And I'll wake up feeling tired in the morning. I might not go for my run. Short-term pleasure equals on to pain. The best athletes get it. I want to watch Netflix, but I'm going to bed because I know that I need to recover. I need to rest. I need to get up early, do me run. I really don't want to go to bed early, but they do it anyway. And I think that is the characteristic I've seen more than ever. You know, Scott Quigg, former world champion, I'm certainly not suggesting that we should all do this, but we've done training camps and we've trained on Christmas Day because in his mind, he's like, I'm training. I want to win. It's a it's a short-term pain thing. I'll just swerve it because it's Christmas Day. No, it's just a day. Go and get your training done.
0: Mm. Rick, can I just add, obviously, you know, you've, you've, you've worked with some incredible people, you know, but the one that sticks out in my mind is Tony Bellew because he had a, he had a bit of a go you in know, on the SES Who Dares wins. He had a bit of a go at uh, the instructors and that. And I thought, freaking instructors want to be careful, like you know, if he lets rip with a few punches, they're done for. <laughs> have, have you yeah. have you ever sort of locked arms with these people and like you know what I mean? How, how do you how do you kind of bring them back online if they uh, if they don't quite agree or, or whatever?
1: Cool. Yeah, it's the skill. You know, it's the skill of coaching, isn't it? And again, this is the same for for again for our, for members of camp, for our clients, for for any one of us. We all, uh, depending on our mood, depending on our emotions, depending on if we've slept well, depending on if we've eaten well, we're all emotional human beings, and and you know some days we feel great, other days we don't. Again, athletes are athletes are no different. Just like I'm sure maybe one or two members of camp, they can be stubborn sometimes. Um, that said, we're not we're not right all all the time either. Um, so for me. With with the athletes, it's about working with them. I think their dictatorship doesn't doesn't work. That said, sometimes we've got to give them a bit of a kick up the backside. Sometimes we've got to have an honest conversation, what I call a courageous conversation. We've got to tell them the truth. We've got to make them clear on, you know, the not only the rewards they'll get if they do something, but the consequences if they don't athletes again like like any one of us we have all got our opinions that there is knowledge we, we are absolutely swamped now aren't we with knowledge with with opinion with different views on anything and everything they they know they're same mm. uh, they're, they're, they're exactly the same excuse me when I'm working with them if I if I want them to do something ultimately my job as a coach is to educate them on the benefits of, of why I'm asking them to do this my job then if they're resisting is is to make them understand and accept why they're resisting and then ultimately get them to to make the right choice. Uh, sometimes you know uh, you know coaching is about communication, it's about being open-minded and, and and it's also about a little bit of instinct as well. As we get to know our clients, we know it. that it, you know if they come to us and, and they, they are genuinely exhausted that it may be less beneficial to continuously push them through the wall that, that day. That said, we also know when sometimes on the reverse of that is, no, we're, we're going to do this. Conflict happens, as I say, it's a it's a courageous conversation but it's based on a foundation of knowledge and understanding and, and it's the exact same. I, I've always liked my clients, if we're out doing a weight training program or an SNC program or there will always be a time where they say, oh, I don't like this exercise. And and I'll work with them then to say, okay, let's remove that emotion. We don't have to like it, but here's the benefits of it. Here's why I'm asking you to do it. Here's why it's good for you. Here's what you're going to get from it, you know, internally and externally. And then hopefully we can move forward from there.
0: I love that, the courageous conversation. That's that's immense. I like the idea behind that. But what also struck out is uh, removing the emotion from some of the things, you know, I just, you know. I get people at camp all the time, oh, I hate kettlebell swings or whatever. And just that that thought, well, you don't need to like them. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit more than that? Or just yeah, the right, way you develop I, I that mean, technique? Or, yeah, I think on. there's
1: sometimes an assumption, quite right, that athletes like training. Yeah. And they don't. Right. <laughs> Most of them really, really don't. But it's a it's a it's a process that they accept that will lead them you know we you know you know us, we're motivated towards something or, or away from something you you know that as well as, as I do if if not more when when somebody tells me that 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 they hate something I will I will you know calmly ask them what part they hate about it because it's a kettlebell, you know and and it's, it's simply a movement and if we take the emotion away from it, it is a process it's a process that we don't have to like but i think if we can remind ourselves that we're working away from something or remind ourselves that we we're, we're, we're moving towards something we can embrace the process and, and just and just get it done and, and move forward There's elements of training i love There's elements of training, such as flexibility stretching i absolutely hate and and i, and I hate them because they hurt yeah. you know and we on <laughs> it's week. an irony that. Um that that often the things that are good for us we tend to not really like. Um I'll try and reframe it with people, I'll try and reframe it mentally in their heads, you know. Um I I actually don't like being on a physio table, you know, as I, as I get a little bit older each year as we all do. I don't like being on a physio table. I more so don't like having to pay to be on a physio table. I don't like stretching, but I understand and I accept the two key elements of change, understand it and accept it. I understand and accept that if I stretch more, it will reduce the time and money I spend at the physio. I
0: do it. can i jump into some questions now from our campers which are completely you know i've not i've not pre-shown you these so we'll we'll do it kind of off the cuff and see see how we get on yeah. you're all right with that uh yeah, you of course, your, yeah. your, your knowledge right i've got one from from alice and she basically said can you build muscle and lose fat in the calorie deficit brackets with good protein intake so i know that i mean there's probably so many intricacies of that but um you know how, how do you go about answering that
1: uh okay i'm gonna break that question in half yeah. So can you part, can you build muscle or move to the left? Can you lose fat or move to the right? In order to lose fat, you have to be in a calorie deficit. I think there's a ton of different uh, ways of uh, trains of thought, schools of thought uh, around balancing hormones, around um, health, and, and I agree with every single one of them. But also when it comes down to it, on the, the theory and the law of thermogenics, you've got to be in a calorie deficit. You achieve that, by knowing and understanding your basal metabolic rate, so basically how much fuel you need in a day, and then understanding that you have to move uh, more as well, and we have to move with good quality. And and did you say with something about protein as well, eh, Craig?
0: Yeah, with good protein intake, whatever whatever that would be.
1: Uh, and and in order, to, yeah. So in order to uh, you know lose fat, and 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 what will help with achieving caloric deficit is that protein intake is the foundation of uh, a balanced nutrition plan so there has to be good good pro. you know what i think i think what the person there is getting at is with is with a high amount of protein in in the diet for me we have to understand that uh, nutrition should be balanced that you know but the key is for me um so what I mean is by, yes, good protein, but also good quality fats and, and uh, some carbohydrate in there as well, some slow-releasing carbohydrate, low starch carbohydrate. But, yeah, ultimately, when you boil it down, we have to be in a calorie deficit to burn fat. That has to happen. I think answering that half of that question, can you build muscle in a calorie deficit? I've, oh, gosh, I've, I've worked with thousands of different people and – it's been a real, it's a, it's a lottery with this one, really. So what I mean by that is I've worked with some clients who have been able to get lean and and I think, again, build muscle. I think I'm, what that I means is actually make muscles grow, make them get bigger. I've, I've had some, basically, I've had some clients that, yes, have been able to do that in a calorie deficit and then other clients who haven't, and there's been no real loss of that. Mm-hmm. So I would say, base it on facts, so if you're training well, if you're able to, to perform well in your training in a calorie deficit uh, your body fat is reducing and you are getting stronger and more powerful then I would say carry on if you are in a calorie deficit you are losing body fat but you are weak you are unable to, to lift you're unable to do press ups and squats and pull ups and all that kind of stuff I would try something different and I would understand that maybe you need to increase your fuel in order to perform? It's a really open question, that one. I'm not sure I've answered
0: it. No, you're right. To- I think, well, you've definitely got some great points across. And um, I, th- I think for me, is like, you know, whenever someone talks to me about this kind of thing, I'm kind of like, look, just split them in two. Let's let let's have a, two different periods where, you know, you, you, yeah. have, a, you have a fat loss-lady period and then a build you know a muscle building period or or vice versa or whatever, you know, it's it's I think it is a tough one, but I think you answered it really, really well. Um
1: yeah, I think I think splitting them in two is important. Fat loss is fat loss and muscle building is muscle building. So I think fat loss in a calorie deficit, yes. Building muscle in a calorie deficit uh, can be done, but not by everybody. I think understanding that we're all unique, so just because the person next to you is able to do it doesn't mean you are. Uh, and there is no saying. If you do what you always did, you'll get what you always got. So if it's not working, you got to try something new.
0: Yeah. The next, the next question from Claire is: uh, What should diabetics do differently or additionally in strength training, considering uh, considering they can have less power to muscle ratio pound for pound than non diabetics? Now I know I know what? you're not a medical doctor, um, mm-hmm. but just you know, a bit of your your take on that.
1: Uh, <laughs> That's a great question. Um, there was a boxer, actually, I forget his name now, but he uh, was the first professional boxer recently to be granted a professional boxing licence as a type 2 diabetic. It was banned in boxing for a while. Uh, this, I get this chap's name now, but he was able to prove that, you know, it, it was... Is it? I've just done a little bit of Google
0: search there. It's come up as Muhammad Ali, is that right?
1: That yeah, name? that's him. Yeah, that's yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's him. He's, he's based in in I think in sort of Bolton, up in the northwest of England somewhere. Got some big um, boots to fill
0: there, aren't you, with that name?
1: <laughs> yeah, with that name. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but he was able to prove that he was obviously fit, healthy, and, and and it was discriminatory. And why why could he not compete? And yeah, he's been he's been granted a license. What should diabetics do differently? I think to to. First and foremost, the biggest thing, if, it, if it's particularly type 2 diabetes, the first thing that they should do is strength train. That is the first thing that they should do. I think the science shows that strength training um, helps regulate insulin and blood sugar, that hormonally helps with hormonal balance. So I think if you're know if you not doing strength training, that would be my first point of call, start doing it. The big one for me would be to, to monitor recovery rate. Now, one thing that we do use is carbs often after strength training. If you're type 2 diabetic, that may not that may not be the case for you. Carbohydrate uh, with, you know helps with protein synthesis. It helps the, the ingestion of protein into the muscle. It helps with recovery, basically. So to answer that question, uh, uh, they may, I'm not saying this is facts, but they may need slightly longer recovery. They may need slightly longer recovery between each set. I don't know that for a fact. I would, I would sort of thinking logically there. Consider that they they should need to work as hard as they can to get as strong as possible. Well, that's a tough question. Uh, what I would say there, I and mean, you know, and I'm going to go and look that up actually <laughs> now afterwards because uh, I'd like to know the answer deeper, you know, to that myself. And what I would say to, I think he's, the lady's name was Claire. Yeah, remember that the internet is is full of um is full of opinion. So I would, if she wanted to research that herself further as well, to look at what's proven by science. So rather than just Googling, I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting she she does, but if she wanted to know more, and I I will certainly go and look up afterwards, I'll go and look at PubMed, uh, which is the scientific, well, one of the big scientific journals for for strength training and for, for sports science, or I'll go and Google Scholar as well. Um, so that'd be where I'd advise her to look. My, to, to round that answer off, as I've said, first and foremost, diabetics, particularly type two, should do strength training. They absolutely should do strength training
0: as as a priority. And
1: as a priority, yeah, the, 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 it absolutely is proven to help regulate insulin. So, uh, and and sort of increase the sensitivity, and and therefore it directly supports your body's fight with type two, type two diabetes. That is that is that scientifically proven uh then to answer the second part of the question and this is just me thinking logically i would uh in terms of what should you do additionally stroke differently uh perhaps uh look at your recovery times take more recovery if you need to um but focus uh as is always with strong training on trying to get as strong as you can do in a safe manner
0: yeah, another another great answer. Um, this next one: the, the the best way to build strength and stamina without injury if you're aged over forty or fifty. Again, I know, um, I know these are pretty. <laughs> you could probably take okay. three or four days uh, to answer some of these, but uh,
1: not wrong with being aged forty or fifty as well, add as, as a man in uh in that in that bracket myself. So there we go. Um, so again, strength and stamina: two separate things. Let, let's completely split them in half the best way to build strength without injury focus on technique safety first never sacrifice technique in order to get stronger it's a complete it's a complete nonsense because eventually if, if technique goes out the window you will you'll get injured you will get injured and the minute you get injured and, and stop strength training uh, based on the, the theory of sarcopenia as it's called you won't be very strong for very long when you're injured so it's, it's a real nonsense. First and foremost, safe, safe technique when you're trying to get strong is absolutely crucial. And and I would also additionally advise that if you are going on a block of strength training to really focus on mobility training, really focus on making sure that your your muscles are loose, those calves are, are being mobilized, the hamstrings, that you're activating the glutes and that you've got And we we call it in sport an IP program. So whenever we're working a program of strength, we have an IP program, which is injury prevention, to to go alongside it. As you get stronger, you must have something in place for your body to to be safeguarded as well by flexibility, muscle activation, mobility and movement. I would again, 40 to 50, at any age, I would advise you to get stronger. But I would certainly advise you to get stronger. In those, in those age brackets of 40 and 50 and above. More and more physiotherapy now, uh, whenever you go to forward-thinking physios, yes, they will have you on the table and on the bed, but more and more of them are getting their clients into the gym and showing them how to get stronger. So age 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, get, get doing the strength training. Know that about it. The stamina... What I, what I would say there, is, and is an irony here, obviously based on what you've done um, in the last couple of days where you're running, is uh, what I would do is I would focus on or I would be aware of uh, the byproduct of, of, of stamina-based training. So if you're running and you've got, you know, weak ankles or hips or your knees are aching and so forth like that, there is absolutely no reason why you should solely just run. You are more than uh, okay to, to... And I like running, by the way, Craig. I certainly can't run like you can. But um, there is no reason why you can't swap that over for something that's linear plane, no impact. So exercise, biking, um, rowing machine. If you've got history of back problems, maybe the rowing machine not for you. The, the point I'm making is, is that ultimately... There's an, there's an old saying, the methods are many, the principles are few. And there's a load of different ways to improve your stamina. But you will get red flags. And if you're constantly running, pounding the roads and knees are starting to hurt, you know, shins, ankles, at some point injury will occur. So maybe maybe just change it up, maybe just mix it up. There's nothing wrong with getting on a cross trainer. Some of them, of course, may burn more calories than others or uh, perhaps more optimum than others. But the you know, as I say, the methods are many; the principles are few. One key principle is that strength and stamina will never be at its best if you're injured and on an injury table on a on a physio table.
0: Yeah, I mean, you no, know, I've I've spent probably the largest part of my adult life always carrying an injury of of some kind, and um, only recently I got a I got a, a running coach, and uh, it's completely transformed the way that I run now. I started my my run whenever it was two days ago I think it was what's gone on since then <laughs> for the first time I was on the start line I was like wow you know I feel I feel prepared and I'm injury free and I I, I I, don't remember another race when, um, when when I've I've been like that so uh, you know th- that 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 tip of sort of focusing on technique really is really is a, an essential one I think uh, right a couple more yep. questions and then I just want to jump onto the old charity boxing nights if we, if we can if you've got time um, yeah Re- really quick ones. Uh, three books that you would recommend for anyone sort of looking to lose weight or get fit, uh, a beginner, really.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, uh, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy by Paul Chek.
0: Yeah.
1: I'd say that's a staple uh, read for everyone. It's a great book. It's really, really informative. It's really, really simple, uh, but, but yeah, very informative as well. And then I would, I'm going to broaden my answers here. Uh, rather than give you a specific book, I would say a good book about cooking. It yeah. gives you simple recipes, you know, that are very, very sort of healthy but clean. Um, so understanding how to cook and understanding the process there, and then a good book about uh, your mind and understanding the emotion behind food. Yeah, amazing. But yeah, how to eat, move, and be healthy is definitely uh, a good book about food and a good book about the emotion and mindset of food. Amazing.
0: Um, last one of these questions. Then, what are you? What are your three go-to exercises in the gym? So, whether either for yourself or for for your clients.
1: So, go-to exercises for me: uh, uh, squats. I love squats. They're a big one for me. Uh, boxing training is a big one for me, and then uh, always some stretching because I'm not very good at it, and I need to do loads of it.
0: Amazing. Right, let's let's jump over to. Uh, so the charity boxing nights. So uh, you know, I've, I've been to a couple of times. Uh, incredible, incredible event to experience. If we can just talk a little bit about it, it's quite good timing for us because we're about to launch fight camps in uh, in the new year. So it's, it's boxing and Muay Thai themed boot camps, really. Um, so there's a lot of people really, really keen on that, and it kind of ties in nicely to your your charity boxing night. So. If you could just tell us about it like what your aim of of the night is what it what it consists of, and then I've got a couple of questions about about it
1: yeah i mean so child Boxing that i created it sadly with my um, my niece uh was was born in two thousand and fourteen there was um sadly some complications and uh and yeah and unfortunately she she passed away you know after twelve days. She was transferred to the specialist uh, newborn intensive care unit at Manchester, the hospital, uh, Royal Manchester Children's Hospital. My sister was very, very poorly as well. Uh, thankfully, my sister pulled through, but sadly, Sophia didn't make it. Um, and it was at that time I, I just made the decision after wandering through the hospital and, and having a, you know, just a, a moment, let's say, on the on the ward. I, I made the decision that I wanted to to fundraise and, and be a fundraiser. I've had a little attempt at doing a charity night a few years earlier, a a boxing based charity night. And uh, (laughs) I I was like, I am never doing that again. Never, ever doing that again. But I don't, you know, I don't know. There was just sort of something in me that, uh, you know, you talk about motivations and things to drive you on. And obviously that was probably as, as big a motivator for me as, 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 as as I've ever had in my life. And, um, I just decided I was going to do a charity boxing night, and I was going for it, and I was going to go for it in, in a in a big way. I, yes, I come from a pro boxing, you know, world. Let's say, but I wanted to to take normal people who had never fought before, and I wanted to take them on a journey through it through the fight camp, through a training process. Uh, and get them into the ring for their for their one night as a as a boxer so I wanted to keep it as safe as possible hence uh, stringent checks making sure that it's people who've never fought before there's, there's tons of research behind uh, punch power and, and so forth like that and ability to deliver a punch comparable for, for a boxer to a unboxer. so so yeah that's what we did um we did our first event in 2015 it's an annual event Obviously, sadly, due to COVID nineteen, we've we've this is the first year we've been been unable to do it, but we've we've done five years now, and we've we've raised a quarter of a million pounds so far, and and we're pushing forwards. You know, incredible amount of money. So, so
0: the, the fighters, just everyday people, just off the street. Then, I mean, what kind of what kind of change do you see them undergo through the training? So, they, they train for six weeks. Is that right?
1: Uh, yeah, a bit longer. I think normally ends up being about. Yeah, seven, seven and a half weeks. Obviously, you know the the normal people like you said, Greg. You know they're uh, they're working factories, teachers, office workers, day jobs, shift workers. You 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 name it. So you know, so there's always the odd training session that's missed. But we're we're very disciplined on the fact that they've got to attend, they've got to commit. And I mean, we've we've had all kinds of results in terms of. People. A lot of them have carried on. First and foremost, what I would say is a lot of them have carried on boxing training afterwards uh, at local boxing clubs, and some of them have gone on to have you know more than one fight since then. Um, but we've seen people uh, massively improve their uh, mental health, uh, massively improve their confidence, their resilience, their self-efficacy, and to losing a ton of weight. Um, and 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 you know. Improving every every facet of their life, just going very slightly sideways. I, I hugely believe in combat training for every single one of us. I've never, ever trained somebody who hits pads and you don't have to fight or get punched in the face or anything like that. I've, I've never, ever, ever done pads with anybody who hasn't enjoyed it. Every single person who I've done pad work with, you know, for stress relief imagining is yeah. on <laughs> pads, you name it. They love pad work, and it is great fun. It's great stress relief. So it, it, we've seen, we've had, because not everybody makes the fight night. Some people, you know, decide that actually I just wanted to do the training, and, and that's fine. But we've had, you know, well over 100 people go through our training process now over the five years, well over, probably close to 150, and for every one of them, it's been a positive, a positive thing, and, and in some cases, it's been life changing. The ones who do fight, we're, we're very clear that they've already won the fight by getting there on the night. And when the curtain's open and you've been to the night, you know, on all the lights, and the, we make a big spectacle of it. Uh, we encourage them to embrace every second of it and uh, and be extremely proud of themselves because um, they're doing it for themselves. Of course, something they'll look back on for life and maybe, you know, a bucket list kind of thing. But also there is a, a huge cause and, and uh, the money we've raised has gone towards ventilators, it's gone towards key equipment that ultimately has saved critically ill babies' lives.
0: Have you got to be sort of Manchester-based to, to take part? Have you? I'm just thinking that, you know, we've got thousands of boot campers there all, like, hitting the pads and think, you know, what? what am I gonna, how am I going to challenge myself next?
1: We, we've had... Um, We've had people from outside of Manchester, and the Northwest. We've had, you know, one guy last year was from Blackpool, and he was dry, driving over three times a week. What what we do say is you can, you do not have to be Manchester based to apply. If if you're really keen on it, we we would we'd link you up and help you link up with a local boxing club. There would be key sessions that you would have to attend. You know, and even one of them is 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 you know making sure that. You, you, you equally match to an opponent because safety's everything for us you know height and weight are have got to be similar and forth like that but um, maybe I'm giving you a little exclusive here now uh, mate but we are looking and again pre-COVID our plans were to take charity boxing nights on the road let's say oh, and really? then be in, yeah. be in other cities as well yeah that's our that is very much our plan as a, you know we might have to perhaps wait a little bit longer now due to COVID but um but that remains our plan so maybe look at one in the north one in the south and one in the middle of the country as well and I'm probably not going to say any more than that yeah no. <laughs> Yeah. I understand what that. I would say is please look at my website UK. there's no K in Rick it's R-I-C M-O-Y-L-A-N there's the charity page on there and have a watch of the videos that are on there um I think it's a pretty good event and uh, we're grateful for our support. And if you do want to apply, please get in touch. Yeah, I think we consider it, all applications.
0: What, what I'll what I'll say as well is you know it's easy to sort of com- try and compare to apples to apples and think oh white collar boxing I've done that I've seen that Th- this is not white collar but this is as close as you're going to get to being a professional boxer on the night um, and then the other side of it is just is come along and support you know get get yourself a a ticket and come and experience what is a, a phenomenal night. Um, me and Paula have been a couple of times and absolutely absolutely love it. So
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah well, thank you. I mean, thank you for that. We we, we do our best and, and, you know, I'm not going to embarrass you too much, but you and Team Bootcamp have massively supported us in many ways. So, yeah, we, you know, the only rule that we have, the only rule is that you cannot have fought before. If you've fought before, you're unel- ineligible, uneligible, ineligible even, to to fight on our event. The only exception we'll give to that is if you have fought with us as a beginner, I'm lost. We will give you one more attempt. Most people do, you know. Yeah. Some. I I'm lying. Some people, yeah, quite a few, have had a second attempt. But yeah, that 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 is our golden rule. You cannot have thought before. But obviously, like you say, you know, we sell over 600 tickets. We're now uh, more than ever, particularly with what's gone on this year. We're going to look at uh, we we stream the fights anyway, but we're now going to look at streaming the fights as a fund. You know, as a real fundraising app. Now
0: as well, and we're grateful for any support. Always amazing, um, Rick. I'm just going to start bringing this to a bit of a close now. It's been been great chatting to you, and uh, some absolute pearls of knowledge there. I'd be quite keen in the future if you're up for it. I'll put you on the spot, you know, on on the podcast to get you and and our good friend Quirking as like a bit of a double act, a little bit of a conversation there about stuff. Anything, anything
1: uh, that you go on make? Well, I was going to say I'd be well up for that. There's obviously after that still as well.
0: Uh, anything you want to? pass on before i before i sort of close things down
1: um you know what i would say um, sorry just
0: i think we lost him there uh, never mind i'll get him back uh, for another another episode in the future but i'm sure you've enjoyed that and learned lots um so until the next podcast take care